This podcast is a project of the Medina Focus, with the goal of providing space for collaboration and community among practitioners to the Muslim diaspora in North America. As people around the world have immigrated to the West, many Christians have realized that they live and work in the midst of the nations, and they often feel alone and unprepared to communicate cross-culturally. If you're looking for conversation and community surrounding issues of loving Muslim friends in Jesus' name, we welcome you into the conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am Brian. And I'm Nate. And it might sound like we're sitting in the same room, and that's because, once again, we are sitting in the same room. Yes. Yeah. There's been a bit of a life update on my end uh, over the tail end of covid uh, I'm from Texas, so I can call it the tail end of COVID, which I'm now in Washington, so I can't call it the tail end of COVID. It's uh, alive and raging here. Isn't that right? Still have to wear masks. Yeah. Yeah. For a few more days anyway. Um, anyway, uh, God just kind of led our family on a new direction in the past several months, and we have relocated to the Seattle area. And so I'm, I've taken on a church role there. And uh, the upside is it puts Nate and I within a very short drive of each other, and so uh, increased collaboration. So we're both pretty, pretty pumped about that. Yeah, I'm much happier with my voice over with a microphone <laughs> than on the phone. Yeah, I, I have two prayers every morning. One is for the unreached, and the second is for Nate to get better internet, because I know one Amen. relates to the other. So um, today uh, we, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, training and how that relates to uh, mission work. And uh, this actually, the tradition of this goes back a long, long time. Uh, one of the very first uh, global mission conferences was actually uh, in Cairo. It was called the Cairo Conference. It actually had a, actually had a super long name uh, that I'm not going to quote now. Um, but this was in 1906 where uh, agencies and missionaries from all over the world met and presented papers. And at the conclusion of this conference, they basically looked around the room and figured out, hey, all the missionaries that are being sent to the Muslim world, none of them have any kind of special training. And for Samuel Zwemer and others, uh, that sent them on a quest to fix that problem, where they, they recommended uh, that agencies sending workers to that part of the world uh, should certainly you know, have them read the Quran before they go and... Uh, have them learn a little bit about uh, Muslim-specific evangelism. And so in that light, uh, we have Grant Haynes. He is the founder of Global Frontier Missions uh, in 2000. His passion is to see as many individuals and churches as possible praying, giving, welcoming, and going to the least-reached people groups on earth. Uh, Grant spent 14 years serving in Oaxaca, Mexico, uh, with his wife and three children, uh, they were church planting, hosting short-term mission groups, uh, running an indigenous Bible school, and starting a missionary training school for North Americans. Uh, he now serves in Clarkston, Georgia, and re- is reaching uh, refugees from Iraq, Burma, Bhutan, Nepal, Somalia, Ethiopia, uh, and many other nations. Uh, where I was living in Houston, we actually had some uh, GFM folks that were there for, uh, for a fair bit of time and uh, helped us do some work there. Hey, Grant, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, so Grant, um, we've been uh, enjoying uh, the the idea of talking about training uh, today and learning more about how we can serve the the listeners and and getting options for doing that. And uh, but it'd be great to to learn from you how long you've been training people 
to love and serve Muslims and to know how to represent Jesus among them? Yeah, so I served down in southern Mexico for about 14 years. So my context down there was sort of Catholic background mixed with animism. We were working with indigenous peoples uh, down there for yeah, almost 14 years. Always had a passion for the 1040 window, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist part of the world. Uh, started doing some scouting trips into North Africa just to see how we can better prepare people to serve in that part of the world. And about 11 years ago, I moved to the Atlanta area area specifically to work with unreached people groups and refugees in this area and we've got a, a training program for people that want to work among muslim diaspora or all around the world so yeah probably about 25 years total training workers that's awesome so you, you're sending people as well overseas yeah, we're not a sending agency. We mainly are a mobilization and training organization. So once we train people, they'll join like Frontiers or Pioneers or Operation Mobilization to either work in the U.S. in a diaspora context, working with unreached people groups, or head over to the front lines to serve in the 1040 window. So this is a pretty uh, specialized career path. What? How did you feel called to this? Yeah, I started going on short-term trips in high school, a few days of training in San Diego, followed by outreach down in Mexico, and that was my first exposure to missions, and they shared about the statistics of how few people are going to the Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist world. Uh, they shared all those numbers, and then they shared biblically God's heart for the nations, Genesis to Revelation, and man, God just grabbed the hold of my heart, especially Romans 15, where it talks about Paul said it's always been my ambition to go preach the gospel where it's never been preached before so i really wanted to be involved with those that had never heard of christ didn't have bibles in their languages that hadn't had workers to get serve among them so that's how i first got involved was through short-term stuff mm -hmm. that's awesome so um the practicality of of training sometimes we get into um, kind of classroom setting is that's what kind of people think about training and, um, you know, learning um, how to do something, but never really um, putting it into practice. So how do you go about um, making that switch over and getting people to actually be able to engage? Yeah, our whole model is based on holistic training. So that's head, heart, hands. Head is, it is good to have a little bit of classroom knowledge. It's good to have uh, some basic Islamics, a basic understanding of honor, shame, worldview. So we do a little bit of classroom training. We do a little bit of apologetics of how would you talk to a Muslim that believes that the Bible's corrupt or doesn't believe Jesus is God. So we do a little bit of classroom stuff. Heart is character. That's going to be so important. Living holy life lives, living set apart for God, abiding with Jesus, being in tune with the Holy Spirit is going to be so important. We're really going to need to hear from him how to answer questions and objections and when, you know, to go full steam ahead and when to slow down and just be relational. So I think that heart piece of training, which you mainly get just through discipleship and life on life is really important. And then absolutely the hands-on, we have to go and hang out in mosques, hang out uh, at the halal butcher shops, uh, go to the shops where Muslims are hanging out, the parks where they're you know, playing cricket or the parks where they're playing chess and just get out and, and hang out with them uh, and get into 
you know, gospel-centered conversation. So, yeah, we think the classroom piece is important, but also the life-on-life discipleship. And there's nothing like hands-on experience instead of the theory of what do I say when they say that um, Jesus is only a prophet. You know, let's get out and have those conversations and navigate those in the field. Yeah, I remember when I was I was visiting you the one time hanging out with you guys. You guys were covering uh, listening prayer with your students. We were talking to them about that, and they were they were um, heading out and and trying to obey what God was telling them to do as they were praying. That was really cool. Um, how practical it was. So, well, how long does it usually take for someone to go from zero to feeling trained? Oh, wow. Do you ever really get completely <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning stuff all the time. I mean, we have a five-month program to train people that want to serve overseas. And even then, I feel like we're going so fast to cover all the material that we need to so that people really get comfortable ministering in a Muslim context. We've had a lot of people say, shorten it to a month and we'll send a lot of people your way or get it down to two or three months and we'll make all of our missionaries get this training before they go serve among Muslims. Muslims. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just been this pendulum in the missions world. It used to be, you used to have a Bible school degree and seminary and all this training. And then it seems like there's a pendulum swing to the other side where it's like, read these three books and come to our two-week mm-hmm. orientation, and then you're ready to head overseas. So I feel like there's a happy medium in there somewhere. But I mean, if you think about Christ spending three years with his disciples, modeling what it looks like to minister to prostitutes and tax collectors and Roman centurions and, you know, what to do when you encounter demonic stuff. I just feel a lot of times we're really trying to push laborers out there too quickly. So I kind of advocate to a slower process, Mm -hmm. life on life, hands on experience, on the job training, apprenticeships. Uh, where we can get out in the harvest together and learn and grow. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Um, I like that. It's uh, you know, if you think about workers going overseas, the the people who finally get over there or who go through the agencies that are sending them over there typically have already had years and years of prep uh, poured in. Whether it you know they started a perspective class at the local church or or you know got involved with somebody like like you or um, it's. On that side of it, on the on the you know the receiving end, on the front side, there has to be so many changes and kind of these aha moments. What do you think are the biggest surprises these students face on on your side of it when they start learning how to reach Muslims? Um, I think they get surprised. In our context, most of the Muslims we hang out with are pretty nominal just kind of in name only. So we try to get into spiritual conversations or talk about the Quran, talk about the Bible. And a lot of times we just get the answer, go to the mosque, go talk to the Imam. I don't know. So I think a lot of people have been surprised at how little most of the Muslims that we're encountering Mm -hmm. know about the Quran or know about their beliefs or know why they believe in jinn or things like that. So I would say that's been something surprising for our folks. Um, we try to really help people understand both the honor and shame and the fear and power worldview, which, you know, you can watch some videos, you can read some books about it and start grasping the concepts a little bit as Western Americans. But I found that you really just have to spend a lot mm-hmm. of time and rich in the culture to really understand where these folks are coming from, how they understand some of the Old Testament stories and the prophets and even Jesus himself. 
So I would say one thing that our students are realizing is how little they know from having grown up in American Christianity in a Western context, when we get them hanging out with primarily Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and let them start playing around with us, that they realize how little they know when it comes to how to share the gospel with people from entirely different worldviews, contexts. And I think that's a good realization. I think that's a good aha moment. I think that keeps us dependent on the Holy Spirit and his leading. Uh, rather than our training or our American right. version gospel presentations or discipleship. So. Well, that's a good direction to go because I'm, I'm interested in, in where, uh, you know, a lot of the, your students are just, you know, um, going to join you, leaving their own setting, and they're starting this whole different mindset of, of how, to, how to start thinking. And they must have all kinds of struggles. What, what do you think? Maybe maybe it's beside the just learning how to to reach out, share their faith for the first time. But what are some of the other struggles that they might have? Um, I would say probably just patience in ministry, uh, getting used to warm climate, cold climate cultures. A lot of Americans are so task oriented and they want results. And I think they're just saying, man, with people in, from around the world, it's just going to take some time to build the trust of the people, to open up their hearts and lives. I think a lot of our people start realizing that most of the rest of the world does hospitality way better than we do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times our people are trying to learn how to receive hospitality. Mm -hmm. We always talk about Americans need to do a better job at welcoming internationals. Invite that international student into your home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And all those things are really good. And I think we need to learn to grow in hospitality and welcoming the stranger. But I think we need a lot of work on receiving hospitality. A lot of times it feels really uncomfortable for us to receive extravagant gifts or to receive extravagant meals or to visit somebody's home and they want us to sleep in their bed while they sleep on the floor or something like that. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, so I would, those are some of the struggles that our, our folks have had to learn is to go in as learners, go in as servants, learn to receive, to learn how to receive honor and receive hospitality, learn how to give hospitality in a way that makes sense uh, to the people that we're trying to serve. Um, some of the warm climate, cold climate, you know, when you go visit one of your friends, plan on being there probably three or four hours, right. which is hard for Americans that I've got half an hour or one hour to get mm -hmm. in and out. Uh, so just really understanding relationships over task, understanding that, uh, yeah, a lot of times when we're working with Muslims, it, it may take years before we see spiritual breakthroughs. So we have to have endurance, perseverance, patience, uh, having those lover, loving and honoring and grace-filled relationships. Yeah, so there's, um, I think you're right, it's just hard we're programmed to think of ourselves as the one going and helping. And so to be served is very diff difficult uh, gear to switch into, so to speak. Um, with, with that in mind, there's just a lot of different kinds of training programs out there, whether it's from style or focus or whatever. Uh, how do you, how do you help people pick what, which, which size is right for them? So for like really entry level, if we're working with an American church, we'll use something like the Bridges curriculum from Crescent Project. We think that's a great kind of entry level. Go eat at an ethnic restaurant and ask the waiter what 
country he's from. Um, ask if you can pray for their country. Ask how to say thank you in their language or things like that. Um, they give some real basic apologetics on what to do with the Bible is corrupt question or um, Muhammad was the final prophet. So I think that they do a good job of giving some basic tools for entry level um, conversations. Encountering the world of Islam is a great course. Um, we've had some people here in Atlanta take the Jesus and the Quran course, which provides some tools to maybe use what we have in common with Muslims as a good starting point to open up spiritual conversations. What is their understanding of God that does line up with Christianity's understanding of God? Are there certain Quran passages that we could use to build a bridge uh, to get people to talk more about Jesus and the straight path or the kingdom of God? Um, so we, we just kind of see where each person is at, where each church is at. And then we start using the Bible quite a bit, just looking at what the early church wrestled with identity-wise. When Gentiles started becoming followers of Jesus, what do they call themselves now? What is mm -hmm. the ecclesia? What does the church look like for these Gentiles coming out of this background, joining these Jews so a lot of Bible study just to have grace and understanding for all of the the things that a new Muslim that decides to follow Jesus is going to have to wrestle with, from persecution to identity to what I call myself to what is my new ummah, my new community, my new family. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the training is just kind of on the job, taking people out with us and building relationships along the way. I'm visualizing all of the interchanges that, that you're having day in and day out over, over time with your students and, and yourself. And I'm just, I'm wondering, you must have dozens and dozens of amazing stories. And I wish we had time to, to listen to you for, tell some of those stories for about half an hour, an hour or something. But uh, do you, do you have a, a story that comes to mind that would be really encouraging for our listeners who are also trying to engage with Muslims? Um, I have an encouraging and a little bit discouraging story, but I think we can learn. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's good. We, we had some Rohingya Muslims that we had been sharing with for a couple of years, just kind of building relationships with them, getting into some discovery Bible studies, learning more about the Old Testament prophets and Jesus in the New Testament. It finally got to the point that two of these Rohingya Muslims decided to follow Christ, which was really awesome. But some of the Americans that were involved in the process and really excited about it uh, kind of came together when these guys decided that they wanted to be obedient and take a step of baptism. Um, and so, you know, these Americans were zealous and excited and took pictures of the baptism and said, we've got some Muslims that have decided to follow Jesus and put it on Facebook. Oh. Um you know, good hearts, good intentions. They're celebrating because the angels in heaven celebrate anytime anyone comes to repentance. But yeah, these guys' faces and names got put out there and the imams came along and said, hey, come back to the mosque um, or, you know, something bad is going to happen to you or bribing you. We'll pay your rent if you'll decide to come back to the mosque and threatening family back overseas. So, yeah, I, I just share that one because it's encouraging because there are Muslims that are deciding to follow mm -hmm. Jesus right here in America. We've got people that have had dreams and visions of Jesus right here in America, and they come and say, 
please explain to us this man dressed in white that said, I am the way, follow me. So, you know, you hear these stories happening overseas. Mm-hmm. We're hearing things like that here, happen here in America. Uh, we're, we're seeing some Rahingans and Iraqis and Syrians um, that are deciding to follow Jesus. But we also need to realize that just because they're in America where there's freedom of religion, there's still quite a bit of backlash and persecution uh, for them right here in America or threats of what can happen to their family members back home. So I just say that as an encouragement of God is on the move among Muslims. Uh, but we also need to be really careful in what we're doing with the fruit that God is bringing in and through them with how we share about mm-hmm. these things. Grant, I like the way that you introduce that story, which is it's encouraging and discouraging. And I, I think one thing that I've learned both in serving overseas and serving in diaspora contexts is uh, our culture is so programmed to only accept positive stories. And I think that itself is, is a really important lesson that we learn it, is that a lot of times even the positive stories are kind of uh, shadowed by these darker elements and uh, it's just hard to separate those two. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this thinking, man, where do I sign up? So Grant, how can people get in touch with you to learn more? Uh, Our website is Global Frontier Missions. If you want to Google that, uh, the website is gogfm.org. Uh, we're happy to train local churches on any of what we've learned, ministering to unreached people groups here in America. We've got one in three day kind of short term experiences here in Atlanta. We don't go out and do a ton of ministry in the community because we found that it actually does more harm uh, than good when we kind of go in there and throw out a bunch of backpacks or set up a bounce house or try to knock on every door and get the Jesus film. But we train people on some tools that they can use back home in their context. Uh, so we've got several tools that we can come alongside and help individuals in the local church uh, do a better job of reaching out to all these internationals that God, by His grace, is bringing to our country. And then we've got summer internships and some online classes and a five-month training for people to think, man, I, I, maybe God's calling me to do something like this long-term as well. That's awesome. You know, the Muslims here coming to faith are, are still endangered in some ways and even back from their home countries because we're, we, have, we still have all this connection because of social networking and just uh, the way that cell phones work these days. It's, it's a lot, we're a lot closer than we used to be. Do you, do you feel like um, engaging Muslims here in the diaspora works the opposite direction too? Do you, do you see um, any indication that the gospel, because we're engaging with diaspora here, is it um, traveling the other direction as well? Are, are people overseas in their home countries getting glimpses of the gospel because of, of uh, ministry here? I haven't seen it with Muslims as much yet. We've seen it more with some of the Hindus and Buddhists and some of the Orthodox folks that have come to have a relationship with Jesus. And most of the diaspora is really, really connected back to their home countries. I mean, most of the refugees that we hang out with almost daily, they're talking with their families Mm -hmm. on WhatsApp or Zoom. So a lot of them, you know, even before they fully embrace Jesus, sometimes they're just starting to do some Bible studies and they're sharing through Zoom and WhatsApp with their family back home. Here's some of the new things that I'm learning in America. 
Uh, we have seen several people get saved and even decide to get baptized when their family from America does minister to them over WhatsApp and stuff like that. Uh, we haven't seen it as much in our context. I've heard that it's happening in New York and other places where Muslims are following Jesus and through technology sharing with their friends and family uh, back home. And we're praying that God will do more and more of that. Yeah, that's awesome. So in a lot of kind of Western church thinking, uh, our step one is to get people kind of into the room and coming to church, right? We want you to show up and be a part of the group. And then, um, uh, or even a lot of times, you know, we might just ask them a question and do this very short gospel presentation where, you know, you accept Christ very early in, whether it's, you know, first conversation and then you get pulled into the church or maybe your first time at church. And, and then I feel like the rest of your church life, we spend... Uh, kind of arm twisting you into the rest of into the rest of the gospel, and you know, believing, becoming, belonging. How do, how does all of this work uh, in your context? So normally in an American context, and sometimes even some of the missionary training that's out there kind of front loads the gospel. It's like share the gospel, share the gospel. You're trying to find the people that are going to respond and spend time with them, which I can understand based on Luke 10. But we Americans, like our goal is get somebody to say a prayer, get somebody to accept Jesus, get somebody to become a Christian. And once they've done that, then we're going to teach them to behave. How do you act like a Christian mm-hmm. now? And then the last thing we would do is say, now that you've decided to follow Jesus, you should join a church. You need to belong to a small group or become a member of a church. Uh, What we found, you know, ministering to Muslims is that's almost completely reversed. So a lot of times we're inviting people into community with us. One of the hardest things for a Muslim uh, when they're deciding to follow Jesus is the community that they're going to lose when Mm. they decide to that step, they may get completely ostracized from the rest of their community. So they need to make sure that they've got a community to do life with um, when they make a step to follow Jesus. Uh, So a lot of times we're finding that uh, Muslims just want to have community and be friends with Christians for a little bit. And sometimes we start doing Bible studies and they even start acting like Christians before they are one. Like they'll start reading the Bible, or they'll start praying before meals, or they'll start uh, giving alms to the poor. They'll start doing some things that the Bible says to do because they're trying to be obedient. And the final thing that they do after quite a bit of a process is actually believe and put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. So I would just urge American audiences to think about that a little bit. We're so focused on get them saved, get them saved. We want them to be a Christian, and then we'll disciple them, and then we'll have them be a part of the church. When we're working with Muslims, a lot of time that's flipped, and we really need to provide good community, good friendships, good trusting relationships. And as they're hanging out with Christians, they probably start acting like Christians a little bit, especially if we're studying the Word of God and trying to be obedient. And sometimes kind of the final thing that happens is they decide to follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So just asking the American audience to have a little bit of patience with Mm -hmm. the process, not Mm -hmm. be so on trying to get them across the finish line and later on get them plugged into a church. Let's right. help these guys 
belong in America. Let's help these guys belong with other Christians. Let's help them feel a sense that they do have a community if they do get um, kind of pushed out of their Islamic community and they've got a family in Jesus and they've got the new citizenship among this great new Uma, this new community, this new family that they can be a part of uh, where Jesus is the head and we're all his family together. You know, you talk about that in the context of, of the Muslim context, and I actually think the church today can learn a lot of that even in our own context, where as we move, continue to move in deeper and deeper into postmodernism and post-Christendom, that a lot of the younger generations, they're not coming to church because uh, they have no sense of belonging first, and we're always going, well, how do I get them here? How do I get them here? And everyone's wringing their hands trying to figure that question out when the reality is, well, they're already grouped up. They're already out there. And, you know, if we can figure out how do we create that belonging before believing, uh, I think that actually has a, a good application for us here as well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think the more we can study about honor and shame, a lot of times we study that to try to learn about Asian culture and Muslim culture. Mm-hmm. But most everything that I've read says that America is moving much more to an honor and shame culture of social media and postmodernism. So we're, we're becoming more tribal in that way, and we need to start looking at how those honor-shame dynamics help us reach Americans better as well as they're starting to view the world through this framework. And we need to present Christ uh, in a way that, yeah, they do have that belonging and they do have an allegiance change and a change of family uh, with him as the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, we are... Um blessed to, to have been able to talk to you today. And, and you guys have been such great trainers um, on the ground, but uh, people need to know also that you have a great YouTube channel and some of the best um, videos, uh, short little cartoony videos, but they're, they're really awesome on teaching people about just the nature of unengaged and unreached peoples and the, the plight, their plight um, without the gospel. And I just have been really I, I've heard people rave about your, your videos, and so you do a good job of training locally and globally through the Internet, and uh, it's just been a joy to um, talk with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. God's really used those to mobilize a lot of folks. So there's one that does teach about honor and shame, the 3D gospel. Mm-hmm. We've got a new one that teaches when helping hurts. There's one about just the basics of what is a UPG, an unreached people group, the state of the world, and the statistics of where the missionaries and dollars are going. And we've got a five-week study that's totally free uh, for church small groups um, and Sunday school classes to use. Um, And we're just on the front end of getting a lot of those into different languages as well, Uh, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, um, Tagalog, some different languages, Chinese. As we think the global church is going to play a huge part in fulfilling this great commission as well. So those are available on our YouTube channel or on the website. All right. Thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Medina Podcast. This show is hosted by Brian A. Bear and produced by Nate Schultz. The conversations we have on this program are born out of an expanding environment of collaboration among grassroots ministry practitioners across the North American continent. If you would like to engage on a deeper level, please email us at medinafocus at vision59.com.